Good morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Part two today of Memories Are Forever. <laughs> Playing on the show there, huh, Jack? Playing, I, you're not even sure what that is. Uh, episode, two-part episode of Magnum P.I. That not, was... Not exactly. Came out in 1981. Remember that? He finds his long-lost wife. That wife did him in. You got to go back and watch some of those episodes. Yeah, I'll check that is it out. like a nightmare that just keeps like reoccurring for the poor guy. He thought Vietnam was bad; she just kept perpetuating. <laughs> at a certain point, you're looking and going, "Geez, Tom, just get rid of her." I mean, you know, it's not like you're hard up or something mm-hmm. in there. But we are going to discuss to a part two. I feel that this needs to be done. Um, Peter Fleming, super Magnum PI fan, is with me again today. He has MagnumMania.com. Highly suggest, if you're a true fan, that you go, if you're a casual fan, go and look uh, through the website. There are answers to questions. There are questions there with answers that you could never possibly have thought up yourself. And I know Peter does a great job maintaining the site. Thank you very much. Uh, no problem, my friend. I and, think a casual fan strolling through would wind up being a super fan in a short time. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Now, um, you can find Magnum here in the States. Uh, I think it's Cozy TV uh, on demand, so I can watch it there. I have the CDs, or the DVDs, excuse me. Uh, so, I, you know, it's always there. I know it runs in like 75 countries around the world. Um, still very popular. It's a little dated. It's a I little don't know dated. If I'd go that. Well, ah. maybe some of the clothing and stuff, but I still think the plots and the storylines and the characters—I I, I think they still ring true. I think the characters are pretty good, um, yeah. and the storylines. Uh, I, I and we were talking earlier about or last episode, and even amongst the two of us, um, the intricacies of the relationships between the main characters, uh, Higgins. Magnum, uh, Rick, TC, and then it kind of branches out a little bit where you get, um, you get like Jeff McKay's character, Mac, you have, um, Buck, Buck Green, Maggie Poole. There's, and these characters are, are as fringe as they may be at times. They're very important to the series and how the series keeps transitioning and moving itself forward, which made me want to ask you, Peter, did you, did you ever think that uh, that uh, Magnum P.I. jumped the shark at all? Can you think of any episode that, that would have taken it to a place, like kind of like Oliver when he shows up on the Brady Punch? <laughs> I, I don't think, I, I know what you're saying, and I, I don't think that it ever really, quote, jumped the shark. I remember when uh, there used to be the website jumptheshark.com, yeah. and Magnum P.I. was the only episode, or one of the very few, that they felt never jumped the shark, which I, I was very pleased to read that. Uh, there were a few episodes that just don't sit well with me, you know, is like, I, I believe Kiss of the Saber is one of those episodes yeah, that I just go, yeah. oof. I just, I, I, as I'm going through my DVDs and doing my annual or biannual rewatch, um, that one I have a tendency of skipping over. You know, and there are ones, there are episodes that maybe don't work so well for me, but I wouldn't say there was a shark jumping because that would mean the rest of the series after that went sideways. And I, I don't think that's happened up until season eight. I think they were still putting out great standalone episodes. Maybe not the complete quality that they had in the first half of the series, like one through four, yeah. but they still had some excellent, excellent episodes. Now, for you, I'm curious, um, 
when watching episode, and I remember the first couple seasons were a little more dark at times. Uh, it had its lighter moments, some comedy in there. But for the most part, it was an action drama um, didn't always have crazy action, which is what I liked. It wasn't really unrealistic things. Uh, but I thought as the series went on, it became, I don't know, a little bit more of a kind of like a comedic show playing off of maybe a serious situation. And every so often you would find yourself back in to a serious episode. Um, the one I'm thinking of in particular would have been with Frank Sinatra. Yes. And... The Miami Vice thing had come out a couple years earlier. Uh, the music being played into the show, like a you know, like a video. And correct me if I'm wrong. That's the episode where Genesis Tonight Tonight plays, along with I believe Frank Sinatra's trying to hunt down the killer of his granddaughter. Am I correct on that? Um, yeah, they actually did that twice. twice yeah. There was that episode um, where Frank Sinatra was the special guest, and they did do that. And I'm trying to think. There was another one, um, Death in Taxes, where they had strange uh, guy. Mama. Yeah. The overlay, too, also. With that was a very moody. Both of those episodes are really very moody, dark, uh, I would say noir-style episodes. You know, it was interesting. You kind of go then later. Uh, there's the episode where uh, Quan Ki's brother comes to avenge uh his death, his brother's death with Magnum. We see that in the second to last season where Magnum's shot and he's in limbo and where he's heading. The next season has Magnum hunting him down. Mm -hmm. um, evidently, Buck Green and, and, and secretly there's been a deal made to bring back an American POW, which was a hot topic back in the late 70s through the early to mid 80s. It was a hot topic that... American POWs might still be alive, not necessarily in Vietnam itself, but in Cambodia or Laos. And there were movies made of it, and there were some books written and so forth. And lo and behold, Magnum takes this issue on. And um, he wants he wants Quan Ki, man. That's that's who he wants. He, it, it's killed his wife. He's killed his wife, or his ex-wife. He's killed his daughter. Whole nine yards. And they bring in the song, The Brazilian, from Genesis. And let me tell you something. The instrumental for five, it's just about five minutes. That song runs with really no dialogue, just action, but not real action. Just a man preparing to avenge the death of the people he loves. And yeah, he has he, the he capabilities. That, yeah, um, exactly. That was, I believe, uh, that was also uh, season eight, if yes, I remember right. Correct. Unfinished business. Yep. And that's what I talk about um, the idea of these epic standalone episodes where you didn't have necessarily that level of intensity prior, or you didn't have it. Uh, I guess they had a couple of episodes like that, but Unfinished Business, like you said, just running through the Brazilian the way they did and him sneaking onto the, onto the base and practicing his his shot. Oh, yeah. He, he was going to just put this guy down. And it, it was a side of Magnum that maybe was hinted at, but to see him go into full assassination mode, that was, uh, that was very different and powerful. And that's what I thought, too, because then I, I remember thinking back, okay, the comment had been made that he'd been part of a... 
some sort of assassination unit, which I, I can't even fathom to be a part of a unit like that. That's just mm-hmm. way too personal. But that's what he does. And we've seen all different sides of Magnum. We've seen uh, the comedic side. We've seen the, the tragedy side of him. We've seen it all. You can say the closest thing to that moment had been, um, you know, did you see the sunrise when he mm-hmm. takes matters in his own hands? But this is totally different because he knows what is about to happen there. He knows there is an American POW on his way and there is going to be an exchange. And he has to make that choice, his revenge. What does he do? Does he take his revenge and forget everyone else that's involved, the collateral damage that will happen, meaning the POW will probably not be released. The POW's daughter will never see her father. This will hamper or change the direction of, of, of negotiations forever. And... He's all set. It's in the sights. Did you ever doubt for a second he would put the weapon down? I was thinking about that as you were replaying the whole thing. Um, I would have loved to slide back in time and remember how I saw it the first time. Because the way they built it up, I really think that watching it, you don't know. He's so invested at this point. He's so intense. Why would you think he wouldn't take the shot? But even though his character prior to this has been a man of character, he has been uh, a man of honor, he's been upstanding, he's always been, I always considered him like a knight errant. And uh, still, when he's preparing for this, you're figuring out, all right, he's going to take Who's going to interfere? Who's going to maybe be the one who breaks it up? And the fact that he sees that daughter looking at the father that she's finally getting back. And in his mind, he's never getting Lily back. Yeah. So he's able to give his daughter, I guess, that gift of that daughter getting her father back and all the other things that are going to flow from that. And I think that that is a really powerful moment as a man who's who father who's in his mind lost his child at that point. He doesn't know that she's still alive. Yeah. You see that whole season eight kind of uh, putting things in order, yeah. uh, going back home to Tidewater, visiting the Naval Academy, making peace with his stepfather. That they really didn't touch on enough, I think. There was more there. I would have liked to have known the half-brother, Joey, and how that played mm-hmm. out. Um, must not have been easy to be the stepfather of a young Thomas Magnum, considering how he idolized his father. Uh, but just looking back, remember the, the in preparation, in uh, Magnum's preparation uh, to take out Quan uh, Lee, he takes off his MIA, POW MIA bracelet, drops it. Mm-hmm. The watch his father's given him is gone. Uh, he, he is a man prepared. And at that last moment, he walks away. But you're right. I remember watching the first time thinking, is that, is he or isn't he? Because they threw me in the... Um, did you see the sunrise episode at the end? Granted, I was only 14 then, but that was a powerful moment. I never expected that to actually happen where the main character pulls the trigger. And right. there's nothing, there's no threat coming. This is just his revenge. 
And they laid that out so well. As it was, it wasn't Bo Hopkins. It was uh, Bo Svensson. That's I, correct. I believe yep. he played uh, Ivan. Yes, he did. Even Ivan relayed that as the viewer. What you're seeing, you know, Tomas, I've had, you know, you could kill me if I was armed, but here, right now, like this, I know you better than your mother. You you could never do that. And that would be the case. Peter, hold on. We're going to take a break, and then we got a caller, and I think I know who the caller is, and we're going to bring him on. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. We are doing part two of Magnum P.I. Memories Are Forever. Be right back. It's never been more important to stay in touch with the events and issues that shape our world. And for more than 25 years, Radio Pennsylvania has been the Commonwealth's source for stories and newsmakers impacting your life. From your state capital to all corners of the Commonwealth, Radio PA's team of award-winning journalists serves as your eyes and ears on the front lines of the major events of our time. Heard all over Pennsylvania on great radio stations like this one, the Radio Pennsylvania Network, bringing you closer to Harrisburg and all of your Keystone State. It's never been more important to stay. Providing excellent eye care in Chester County for the past 35 years, Compass, Rito, and Halshide Vision Associates is the place to go for all your eye care needs. They offer the latest technology, along with the best optical department, in order to keep you looking and seeing your best. Their glasses are finished on site, offering a quick turnaround and excellent quality. Check out their designer frame lines, including Ray-Ban, Maui Jim, Tom Ford, and many others. With two convenient locations to serve you, one in Westchester and one in Exton, Clompus Retail and Houseshide Vision handles patients of all ages, from infants to seniors. Give Clompus Retail and Houseshide a call in Westchester at 610-696-1368 or in Exton at 610-363-8960. Or request an appointment online at crhvision.com. Clompus Retail and Houseshide Vision, excellence in eye care since 1981. It's allergy season, and uh, hiding in our homes is not only no fun, but it's not even effective. Don't have your family spend another season wheezing, coughing, and sneezing with watery eyes. You don't have to suffer. Fortunately, I know just how to protect yourself and your family from allergies, colds, viruses, flus, asthma, and more. Call my friends at Chester County Fuel Oil. They are the exclusive area provider of Premier One Indoor air purification systems. This ultraviolet light system, which is easily installed by the pros at Chester County Fuel Oil, has a 99.9% success rate in cleaning the air in your home. And it's surprisingly affordable. This reliable system comes with a lifetime warranty on electronics and a seven-year warranty on the HEPA air cleaner. So make your home your castle and a virtual fortress against indoor pollutants with the Premier One air purification system by calling Rick Sr. and the fine folks at Chester County Fuel Oil at 610-344-7234. That's 610-344-7234. So you and your family can... The other day, my car in for inspection over with my friend Glenn Lewis at Lewis Automotive. You've heard me talk about Glenn for years. Here's what happened. He called me up and he said, Bill, you're going to need front brakes, you need rear brakes, the rear windshield wiper needs replaced. You gave me the, the price, everything up front. And then he gave me a list of other items that are going to need to be addressed in the future. 
in the future. Not now. He didn't try to slide some major repair by me and say, oh, you got to do this for inspection. He said, no, this is something to keep an eye on. Six months or so, you're going to really need to address this, but you're okay for now. Wouldn't it be great if your auto mechanic was that honest? that You didn't have to worry if you were getting ripped off. You just knew he was going to take good care of you. That's why for year after year after year, I take my car and my wife's car to Lewis Automotive. And I would highly encourage you to do the same thing. To make an appointment, call Lewis Automotive at 610-696-3263. That's 610-696-3263. Lewis Automotive is located at 633 South Bomar Street in Westchester. So for automotive repair peace of mind, do what I do. Take your vehicle to Lewis Automotive. Welcome back to Life on Added. I'm your host, John Aidy. Aberly's guy got my own name wrong today. Getting your name wrong. Man, I'm exhausted. I know that. It's you been need a, sleep. Man, it's been a week. Let me tell you something, but we'll get into that later. I got Peter Fleming on, Super Magnum PI fan, manages the most incredible website dedicated to any show that I've ever seen, magnumania.com. Check it out. I've got an old friend, an old co-host, waiting in the wings. Also a Magnum PI fan. We had a great conversation last night, and we had a real in-depth one maybe several months back regarding who Robin Masters is. And I want to welcome back on the air with me, Joe Harnett. Hey, Joe, you there, buddy? Hey, man. John, how are you? I glad you're on. I'll give you the, the, the segment here. Joe, I'm going to introduce you to Peter Fleming. Peter, that's Joe Harnett. Hey, Joe, nice to meet you. Peter, nice to meet you. I, I've been listening to you guys, and you guys know, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of Magnum PI, and, and as a, someone that used to do a lot of writing, um, I, I'm interested from that that aspect of it. You know, uh, John and I were talking last night about um, Higgins. Yeah. And uh, I always thought the writing for Higgins was so fantastic. And, and when it finally dawned on me, wait a second, you know, Higgins, and John, this is long before you and I met, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I started thinking, wow, you know, is, is Higgins Robin Masters? And, and, no, and I it, it was just kind of fun for me to think about it. And, uh, you know, but just as a, as a casual kind of fan. Uh, then, you know, you remember early episodes where Orson Welles was there. And uh, playing the part, so you know, how do you explain that? And then John comes up with a, a great idea to explain it. I, I don't know how that if if that's I, that's why I want to talk to the writers. That's, I really want to talk to the writers about this. You know, it's interesting because Peter, as much as Peter and I agree on the show itself, pretty much all the way through, we do differ here. Do have a big different take on. Higgins, Robin Masters, and how it all plays out. And uh, we're going to either probably wind that up today. Uh, Peter's going to be kind enough to let me submit uh, a white paper, so to speak, on the topic. But, you know, you go back. I think what happens when a show starts, um, no one foresees that it's going to last five, six, seven years, and the characters need to continue to grow and evolve. Because, you know, here's an example. They had Magnum's birth date, the year he's born and the month and everything. I think there were two two or three different versions of that. Yeah, yeah, there are, yeah. yeah. So they don't hit that, and then they just are not 
sure where it's going to go. Yeah, you watch the growth, and you watch who all of a sudden starts stealing scenes, you know, and you can see that the 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 friendship and the affection between uh, Robin Masters and no, Robin Masters, <laughs> Higgins, Higgins and Magnum becomes rather fascinating. Um, you, you saw him as you know, kind of like a uh, you know an adversary in, in ways. But with a lot of affection, and then all of a sudden, you know, it becomes different, and and that's what happens in these things. I mean, look at uh, you know any TV series like Kramer or, or any of them, uh, Kramer. I mean Seinfeld or uh, or any of the, the ones that went so long. They change the characters. They have to. I think you have to find a maturity with it. Now I think Peter will agree here that the main characters to Magnum, and I think you will too, Joe, did pretty much stay true to who they were from the beginning. It's just you got to see different sides of their personality. Yeah. And because I think in the beginning we saw we saw three close friends, meaning the, you know, Magnum, TC and, and Rick and their situation coming home from Vietnam. And you saw how that played itself out in their day to day lives, more so with Magnum, I think, than than Rick or TC. I think they had come to an understanding. And then you had Higgins who kind of becomes like a father figure in a way to, to Magnum. And you see that growth. And, and Peter and I agree, and, and Joe, I know you will too. If it's not for the dynamics between Higgins and Magnum, I don't think the show lasts more than two or three th- seasons. seasons. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's the key. Look at look at they sell uh, they sell uh, Rick as some kind of a Bogart character from Casablanca. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Now they always kind of kept that, but the character also developed other character traits of you know the the great uh, friendship they had for each other. These guys all went to war together, so there's there's that, um, and uh, you know, so they all have to grow. Uh, TC had to grow, didn't he? He was a pilot. Well, we. we I, uh Peter and I agree on this, and again, I think you, um, well, Joe, I think we've talked about this. The true friendship, best friendship, was between Magnum and TC. There were, they didn't even have to say things, things unsaid, that they just kind of know. Peter pointed out last week, any major moment happening, really in either one of their lives, the other was there to either be support or confront that character that, hey, you might be doing something wrong here. Yeah, they're like the reminder to each other. There, I always think of it like a, a grounding yeah. for each other. Yeah, and um, I think it was Rick who even pointed it out um, in the "Did you see the sunrise episode?" I think it was where they were trying to figure out. No, it wasn't. Did, yeah, it was. Did you see the sunrise? Yeah. Where they were trying to figure out um, TC's call sign from the last run that they were on when he was trying to assassinate the Japanese ambassador. Um, and Rick had said, well, I wasn't with you guys then. You had another gunner. Cookie. And I think that also shows and makes a tie of the connection between Thomas and, and, uh, and TC, that they went back a little bit further. And not that Rick was a new addition, but he doesn't have the same history that the, the, the two of them have. Yeah, and, and and there's that bond between TC and Magnum. Again, you see, yeah. it's a different bond. Yeah. It, it's again, I think it's things unsaid. It's only TC that could have gone out to the beach and say to Magnum about Michelle. He thinks he's found Michelle, and TC's like, "No, nah, man, come on, she's dead." Right. You know, Rick could not have done that. Higgins could not have done that. Huh. It had to be that character. You know, Joe, tell me something. Well, I got you for a few more minutes here. Yeah. 
Who was your favorite character? I mean, you know, you got everyone loves, of course, Magnum, but give me like a favorite character. Who was there someone there you just kind of identified a little bit better with? Oh, with, uh, you mean in Magnum? Yeah, in Magnum, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess I, I, I always identify with a comedic figure. All okay, right? yeah, and that's the fact true. That I know that. Selleck could bring off the comedic uh, and the serious. That's a, uh, you know, to me, that's that's many feathers in the hat. Yeah. So uh, I guess I, I, I think I identify with Magnum. Not, and I think that I think guys would identify with Magnum. Yeah. Women love Magnum. So, so you had both sexes that you know, really kind of like the guy, and you know, men like him because he's kind of cool, he's good looking, and he's you know he's athletic, which we all wish we were. Um, true, true. All wish we you know had that hair. I don't happen to have that <laughs> hair anymore. <laughs> but but I love Higgins. Um, I remember writing a short story years ago. And uh, it was about a robbery in, uh, in like, uh, um, some wealthy place, like uh, Long Island, outside of Long Island. And what I really loved was the fact that uh, um, the two guys that were, that were casing the house on a, just laying down on the grass, there had to be conversation there, you know? So there has to be conversation. And what are they talking about? Well, did you see uh, Magnum last night? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the one character, and this is why I always thought it was kind of funny, uh, the one character was saying, I really, really think that Higgins is Robin Masters. I think it's just a big, you know, meanwhile, lights are going off on the house and they're watching to see when they can break in, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, the, the, it's, it's little conversations that people have, uh, maybe in nervousness. You know, in this case, it was in nervousness uh, or just waiting for something to happen. It's those little conversations, which I think are, are so cool. And that, that happened. I just happened to have written that like it must have been during the run of the show. Right. Uh, when you I'm trying to think that would have been probably towards the tail end of it. Yes, when it would have been the tail end. I don't even remember what the story was that I wrote. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I know it's in one of five stories, uh, five screenplays. There's five screenplays, so there's it's in one. So I, I, I don't know. I, I love Higgins because uh, you know he's so full of character. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I real quick before we take the the next break here and then we we let Joe go on to his whatever whatever his life is these days. <laughs> I'm going to pick up a friend of mine who's coming in from Sweden. Oh. Female or male? Uh, well, I ordered her two weeks ago and they said she had blonde hair, so I don't know. Well, I want to say this before. <laughs> no, it's a friend of mine. It's, really it's, it's, a, it's a, my next door neighbor. I'm picking up his son. That's excellent. You're a good man, Joe. I always know that. What I want to say before we take the break, and then Peter and I can come back and we'll kind of kick it around. There are three things that happen before the show, I think, even starts to really take place that's important. First is Selleck telling Bellisiero, the producer, I don't like the character as you have it written right now. Taking the that that's a gutsy move for a man who has five failed pilots and needs the money. Yeah. That's gutsy. So what he done and this I think it starts the chain reaction. He wants the character to be someone who does mess up, who does get his ass kicked from time to time and this and that. So that sets Right there. What that leads to, I believe, is males, as you just said, Joe, men gravitating towards the show because they're not intimidated by it. Yeah. This guy's not a superhero constantly getting the women. Right. He's an everyday guy. He's been through his tragedies. He has his moments. 
um, you know, they see the you grew, you saw that. Now, I was on the other end being very young because it was more of an idolization for me. But you see that that sets a whole nother level there because you need both. You need the females and you need the males to buy into this guy being real. And then, I would think it's easier to write, too, if you have a flawed character as opposed to a character who's always yep. doing everything the right way and always wins. Joe exactly. Is, yeah. That one, that character has more character. Right. You know? it's, it's broader. It's just more a, there to play with. It's a broader range. Then, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Now, I agree. I, the third part of this, it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think we see it in the first episode, is the dynamics that's going to play out through the series between Higgins and Magnum. You see it in that first uh, uh, little mini-movie they do, Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii. You just see them one-upping each other. Higgins gets Magnum one time, Magnum's gets back, and it's it's done very subtly. It's not like you see it coming. It kind of happens. Yeah. And I think all three of those things were, and then you add the little things in, portrayal of Vietnam, blah, blah, blah. Those three things, though, I think, set the tone for where the show is going to go. Huh? That's you know my personal belief system. Yeah. Hey, Peter, what? How did you get so involved with this? Um, I wish I could say there was one real starting point. It was just a series that I always gravitated to. I know uh, John had asked me last week, you know, what was the draw? And I was a little flat-footed because I couldn't put any one thing on it. I think what I liked the most was. Uh, I said it er earlier, that knight errant thing. I like that Tom Selleck, the character of uh, Thomas Magnum, wasn't a guy who was tied down to a job nine to five. He didn't have his own business with a shingle or anything like that. And as a kid, here you have this guy who's wandering around. He's living on an estate, driving a beautiful car, dating these beautiful women, but still is a guy who you'd want to have a beer with, you'd want to play volleyball with. Yeah. He's not intimidating from that way. Yeah. And he's yeah. a guy that, you know, hey, he's still a stand-up guy, a character guy, a good guy. You know, there are different ways to go about things. And I, I think that was my draw. And then over the years, I was on my VCR when I was at school or I was at work. I was recording like 4 o'clock in the afternoon because <laughs> we didn't have the DVDs and I have all these tapes of all the episodes. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and I would... I don't... I remember being... Um, when I was supposed to be in class, I was... Uh, visiting an establishment not far away from uh, my college and they had on the TV they had Magnum and yeah. I'm sitting there having a beer in the middle of the day watching it when I'm supposed to be in class and it was just one of those things that always just seemed to be around me and it was actually the China Doll episode too and Oh. That started my love of Hawaiian shirts, which still follows me to this day. Do you think there would have been a, um, a Magnum had there not been a Rockford Files? That's a good question. You know, That's I don't know question. if that could have happened um, because it's it's similar in that way, the way the Jim Rockford character was, a guy who didn't win. I don't think Jim Rockford won any fight in that show, did he? <laughs> That's true. That's true. But he did have that... that he had that those guys, you know. He had Dennis. He had Angel. Right. You know, he had these guys. And but, but, but he definitely played that character that had flaws and yeah. was approachable. And, and that's a really good point. And I think even the Lance White foil that Tom Selleck played was yes. important for the Thomas Magnum character because you were able to see that, yeah, look at this guy. How much can you do with him? 
You got a point. Yeah. Now, real quick, I want to say something. Peter hit on something, and I kind of want to follow it with the character. I think another major selling point here is Magnum gets to be a beach bum. If we don't know his background, we, if we don't know that he was this super serious man, a Naval Academy graduate, a Navy SEAL, a man whose life was basically always in high gear, we wouldn't be able to accept him as taking this break in his life yeah. and kind of doing nothing. Right. And I, I think, I think it's very important for that because, see, I think, again, again, I'm a kid now, but I can look at it from an older man's perspective now. I need If I just see him doing his thing, but I don't know his background, I'm like, well, come on, man, you don't know what it's like to pay a mortgage. You don't have the stresses I have. Mm-hmm. But when you know his background, you're sitting at your, you know, your, your chair, you're sitting there, you go, man, I could use a break like that, too. Yeah. I wouldn't and, mind getting the floor. And they dropped that right in the pilot episode, too. Yes. And by by just that that, that sentence and the way he expressed it, it, it encapsulated, I think, it's the mission statement for the series, if you will. Oh, without a doubt. You lose 10 years of your life giving it to, to country. Yeah. On, I mean, in every way possible. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be understood. You look at the character and go, yeah, he deserves to drive a Ferrari. He deserves to be a bum for yeah. a little while. But then you see flashes throughout the series of him still being very mature, making the right decisions. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, so you're not getting a beach bum. Yeah, you're yeah, getting right, the right. You're getting a guy that's taking some time. Yeah, you know, right. he's he's got to live with a few things that that were tough in his life, yes. and sometimes you got to actually. Um, it's almost like a "what about Bob" thing. You know, <laughs> got to take. Uh, uh, you know, it's like people don't. They're just not answering the phone right now, and uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they'll uh, they'll connect. And when we when we have to connect, it's I'm sure that's going to work. Exactly. Well, John, I know before I before you take the break, yep, yep. let me say that when you deliver this white. Paper, make sure you don't refer to it as a manifesto. No, I will not refer to it as a manifesto. That's <laughs> the last thing. All of a sudden, Westchester is going to no, start really no. wondering about stuff. No, no, I still, have, I still have my interview posted, though, with the Unabomber's brother. So that is posted oh, out there. So wow. It, it, it yeah, is, right. Yeah, that is an interesting. Joe, my yeah. friend, thank you for coming on. I'll keep you up to date if we're going to pull off the third part of this uh this little uh, get-together in a couple of weeks. I'm working on someone. And then uh, you and I get together, ball game coming up. Hey, that's a great idea. Uh, Peter, Peter it was nice meeting you. Nice to meet you as well, Joe. It's great to get together with uh, other maniacs like this. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Okay, brother. All right, thanks. No Take problem. care, guys. Be Jack, well. Take care. Jack, roll into the break. Make it a short break. We're going to come back and I'm going to pick Peter's brain a little bit. Uh-oh. You are listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Peter Fleming, super Magnum PI fan. I'm right behind him with that. Be right back. At WSFS Bank, we stand for what's possible. Like small businesses with big plans and big families that need a little more space. Whatever you need, you'll find us right around the corner and always in yours. Stop by any location today or visit us online at WSFSBank.com. We're WSFS Bank, and we stand for what matters. We stand for service. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. Uh, 
It's allergy season, and hiding in our homes is not only no fun, but it's not even effective. Don't have your family spend another season wheezing, coughing, and sneezing with watery eyes. You don't have to suffer. Fortunately, I know just how to protect yourself and your family from allergies, colds, viruses, flus, asthma, and more. Call my friends at Chester County Fuel Oil. They are the exclusive area provider of Premier One Indoor Air Purification Systems. This ultraviolet light system, which is easily installed by the pros at Chester County Fuel Oil, has a 99.9% success rate in cleaning the air in your home. And it's surprisingly affordable. This reliable system comes with a lifetime warranty on electronics and a seven-year warranty on the HEPA air cleaner. So make your home your castle and a virtual fortress against indoor pollutants with the Premier One Air Purification System by calling Rick Sr. and the fine folks at Chester County Fuel Oil at 610-344-7234. That's 610-344-7234. So you and your family can... Breathe free. Lexus of Chester Springs Golden Opportunity Sales event is in full swing with aggressive deals on their beautifully designed 2018 ES350 sedan. For only $329 per month, 36-month lease, 10,000 miles per year, $39.99 due at signing plus tax and tags, or a 2018 IS300 sedan for only $329 per month, 36-month lease, 10,000 miles per year, $39.99 due at signing plus tax and tags. Both vehicles available with approved credit through Lexus Financial Services. Lexus of Chester Springs is located at 400 Pottstown Pike, just off exit 312 of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Or go online at LexusofChesterSprings.com or call 610-321-8000. That's 610-321-8000. Experience amazing at Lexus of Chester Springs. Hi, everybody. I am Donna Saul, host of The Greater Good Project. Join us Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for topics and conversations changing the world, one person, one heart at a time. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. We are doing Magnum, well, Magnum Part 2, Memories Are Forever, magnummania.com. Check it out. That was my old co-host and friend, Joe Harnett. Joe and I worked together almost three years, two different shows. And people thought we would not get along in the beginning. People thought I would be this super conservative And Joe is a super liberal, no doubt about that. But we got along great because I'm issue by issue, and Joe's not completely stuck in his mindset. Okay, Peter. Yep. Got a question that we got to go through. The most, for for you, who was the character you liked the least? Carol. Yeah, there's something annoying about her, wasn't there? Yeah, and I I never understood. Well, I shouldn't say that. I understood why they had her in there and what she did. I just felt that the way it went about it, I didn't think she was realistic in comparison to everybody else on the show. And um, she played a much better character, I believe, earlier in the series. I think it was, it was I think it was season two. I forget the exact episode. Yep, another um, one. And another one. I thought it flowed better. I thought she was a little bit too obnoxious. Any time I saw a Carol episode, I was like, Ugh. You know, it's interesting. The first couple of years, and and this was written about, 
it was hard to get um, top line special guest stars because you know no one really wanted to fly to Hawaii. They weren't sure how the series was going to do. So People you, didn't want to fly to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I read. But here's the interesting part: if you look at the first two seasons, there are reoccurring actors playing different roles. Yes. You will pick up on that. Now, it took me a while as a kid. I thought, you know, I finally picked up on it years later. So you see that those, those different characters uh, coming out. Now, what do you think? Who do you think was the character that could have they could have expanded further on? They could have brought that character more. Who do you think that would have been? That's an interesting take. I think they could have done more with um, probably uh, Alistair Folks. Interesting. Brigadier from yeah. to know. He popped up, uh, I think, a total of three times. Yeah. And I liked the connection that he had to Higgins. And I think it made the show a little bit more global and a little more espionage-oriented when he showed up. And I always liked his character and thought that there could have been more done with him. Interesting. Now, I happened to watch the other day uh, Ian McShane. This was his second role within mm. a couple seasons. He plays a soldier that was under Higgins' command during the Mau Mau uprising, which is actually something that did happen. That is a real situation that occurred in Africa at the time when um, independence was kind of sweeping the country. And, you know, there was a scene here, and I really didn't know how to take this. Do you, I mean, do you remember the uh, the episode, Peter? Do you remember that yes, episode? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. There's it's a, a point there where they have um, kind of captured the uh, the Kenyan CIA agent, uh, Bibi, mm-hmm. and she's sitting there, and they're discussing what's happening, and they're discussing, well, you know, Higgins would not have taken personal protection, and this guy, Scutterbuck, wouldn't want it. And then Scudder you know, looks at it and goes, you're that tart that propositioned me outside of the play that I attended. And then it gets really interesting because he's denying um, uh, uh, Buttery Cup. He's, he's just denying that, he, you know, I would not want protection. Well, the the character, Bibi, looks like at him and says, well, you know, you're, your fondness for African women is well documented. And I thought to myself, you couldn't do that role like that today. It was almost like it was some sort of fetish that was coming out at that moment because everyone in that room stops and looks at him like, what what are you doing? And I just thought that was interesting because you would not be able to play that out today. What do you think? There there were a lot of things on the show at the time that um, I'm not going to say push boundaries because I I don't think they wrote it that way. I just think they wrote naturally and realistically and they touched on subjects that fit the storyline and not to be offensive not to be um, you know boundary pushing just something that would have happened could have happened made sense as part of the plot and they told it I, I agree I think now there's a little too much sensitivity today and, and you couldn't include that as part of the story but there were a lot of things that they did that I thought fit really well that, that couldn't be included today e- even the language from uh, Did You See the Sunrise? Yes. It fit perfectly inside the show, but you could never uh, use it today. Yeah, there's scenes there that I read um, were uncomfortable to some extent to film. And they were supposed to be. And they were, and yes, you can't hide 
from your past. You can't right. hide who you were as a nation, who you were as a person. It's going to get there. You just have to be able to come to peace with it and know that you've moved on, hopefully, as a better person or a better nation. Mm-hmm. Okay, Peter, top three episodes for you. Top three episodes for me. Um, I think Limbo always comes out number one for me. Um, there was so much power in that episode, and I still feel like that's the true end to the series. Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> you, you. You do as well, oh, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like season eight is uh, not that, again, there, there aren't great episodes in season eight, but I almost feel like it's bonus footage or stuff that was, could have happened prior to Limbo. But in my mind, I kind of think, yeah, Thomas walked off into the clouds. And he did his job here. He reconciled his life with Vietnam and made peace with what he had to do there. And whatever part of his journey was, was now over. And I kind of look at Limbo that way, and that's pretty much the perfect ending for the show. Even though you never want to close a door like that to a character, I think it was. I think that was perfect. Um, aside from that, I have a real hard time narrowing down a few others. Uh, they're probably all going to be from season one. Yeah, um, I do love No Need to Know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, again, that's Alistair Falk's in there, and I, I like the the back and forth that they had had with Higgins' history and all of that. Um, China Doll. I think China Doll is one of the most important episodes because it's really the first episode of the series after the pilot movie. So while you have the pilot movie, and like we were talking earlier about Rick having this uh, Humphrey Bogart kind of uh, afflictions, affections, whatever you want to call them, um, that goes totally away. And with China Doll, they reset things that maybe didn't flow so well in the pilot movie, and that became a template for everything moving forward. And there we also have an ending where the main character, Thomas, just kills somebody as the screen goes blank. So you're able to see his ability to mete out justice when he needs to. Go with that. I'll give my quick top three. Go. Um, Obviously, did you see the sunrise? I remember being 14 years old. uh, I taped it. I came home after school. I'm watching it. The ending blew me away. I mean, just totally took me by surprise. I got my brother. I grabbed him. I said, you got to see this. And we rewound it, probably watched it 10 times because it was so powerful. Even even at 14, I knew that this was really highly unusual for a character uh, to just shoot someone and kill them without there being a reason, even a slight reason. At that moment, I mean, forget the fact they know who they know who Ivan is. They know what he's done, but he's not attacking anyone at that moment. Plus, he has diplomatic immunity. And, you know, Magnum takes him and just does him as much as I complain about Michelle. uh, Memories are forever. Part one and two. (laughs) Yes, I think it's important if we find out who his wife is. I think we we see a different side of Magnum. We see probably a side that he's run more from than just the war itself. He's ran so far away to get away from the memories of his wife who's missing. Uh, we see we see TC in that moment they have on the beach where, you know, TC's being honest with him. say, hey, man, you know, come on, she's dead. You know, come on, you know that. So that was important. Then I have to say uh, the episode where where uh, Magnum goes after um, Quan Chi, 
during the exchange of the POWs, because I think just that five-minute instrumental of the Brazilian and watching this man prepare like it was second nature. It had been, what, probably nine, ten years, if not longer, since he had been in that mode. And you, he just he just gets right into it. It's second nature. It's all preparation. He's on he's on autopilot. You can't go wrong with any of those episodes. When when I did my spot for Cozy, when when we did the marathon of, of the Sweet Sixteen Magnum episodes, <laughs> I said I need to do sixteen. How can I narrow down this series to sixteen episodes? And you wanted me to just pick out three. Just yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's not easy and, to do it. No, it's not. And all the ones that you had uh, are easily in probably my top six and that'll depend on the day that you ask me because there could be a mood where I want, uh, I'm a little bit more goofy and all of a sudden uh, one of the other episodes pops in there and, and it, it, you know, it just bounces around based on that because the show had so many facets. Team Ring French Croix which if you look that up it is a symbol that is, it's a symbol that is used for combat, you know, relation to combat, is used in relation to special operations, special forces type people. So it does have a background that fits what the show's portraying it to be. I thought that was a very powerful symbol for the show. Wearing one now. Yeah, I know. You got one now. All I, I what I did, I got, I got a silver chain, sterling silver, and I went out and got one of the, the French quads to put on it. I, I've never done the ring. If I did do it, I'd probably put it on display. Which well, I, I didn't cool. go with the gold one because uh, there's a gentleman who, who is a veteran out in San Diego who does uh, homemade jewelry. I know who that and is. Yeah, I know who that it is. It was yeah. through him. Um, Jerry Rainey, I believe, mm-hmm. is his name. Our other store um, is the name of the place. And I am not a gold kind of person. I, I, I'm more... Oakland Raiders, silver and black, that kind of thing. So he had one that perfectly fit my style. It's just a silver ring, and the background is recessed, and it's just the claw on a black background. And it's become an everyday ring for me. I can't think of any other show that I've watched that there was an actual symbol such as the team ring that you know just bonded these guys together. I, I, I can't think of any other show that had that kind of actual physical symbol that you could look at. Can't, can't think uh, of anything else. No, I, I can't either. Even the A-team didn't have anything like that when you think about a group that was known as an actual team. Uh, um, don't get me started on them and the AK-47s that never seem to hit. Hurt, yeah, right no one gets hurt there. Um, let's hit real quick the movie that never happened. Okay. With Clancy. Now, there was a lot of talk. Series ended in 88. The talk started right away. I thought for sure there would have been a Magnum P.I. movie by 94, 95 at the latest. Right. Tom Clancy would have been the perfect writer, I think. They could have played very well off of uh, Magnum going back into the Navy. Um, there was a whole host of things going on at the time. North Korea was starting to ramp up its nuclear program, blah, blah, blah. Never happened. Never will happen at least I hope it doesn't happen now because it right, wouldn't be appropriate. So that that's a shame. But that leads into the Magnum P.I. reboot. We don't have enough time. I know. I know. There's a few <laughs> other things I want to touch on before we close out. But look, got to be honest. Um, you sent me the, the clip 
I hated you for sending me that clip, yeah. which means I had to watch it. Yeah, I had to see uh, it, so I had to share it with somebody else and have their eyes burned, too. Uh, you know, what they've done with this, and then I understand the writer is the guy who has written a lot of those uh, Fast and Furious, which became kind of a weird parody of itself as it's gone on. It really, the show at this moment, as it's being laid out, as it's being filmed, is everything Selleck rebelled against when they approached him to play the role. They should have just called it Cutter. Yeah. And if they would have, and, and that's the thing. I, I have very strong feelings about it. Um, I try not to be vocal or over too much about it because it's my opinion. And other people, I don't want to ruin it for everybody else or other people who are interested in it. Um, I do find it interesting that a lot of social media has been negative towards it. And I think that also shows the long-lasting power of the original series, that, that those characters stood not because of just a name. They stood because of who they were in their relationship and what they were. And just because you're going to add explosions, you're going to you're going to blow up what is it? Three Ferraris in the first yeah. trailer. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And, yeah, that's that's not what the series was about. That's what the A-team was about. That's not what Magnum PI was about. And um, as much as Mr. Lenkov says he's a fan of the series, and I think I, I'm sure he was, um, there's a difference between being a fan of a series and getting a series. And going by what he's doing, I'm not sure he really gets it. Get that? I, I agree with you there. Character, I'm glad, and you can maybe help me with this too. Um, there's mm-hmm. a character I'm glad they did not develop further. And I mean by further, further into a relationship with the Magnum character, and that would be Maggie Poole, Lieutenant Poole. There had been talk at one point that she was to become the love interest. They were going in that direction, and I am so glad they did not do that. Now, see, she she was the one that I thought of all the characters they had on the show. Um, And I mean regular characters. There were a few who would pop on from time to time that you say, you know, I could see them working together. I thought long term, after, if we're going to say that the series did continue and these characters continued after resolutions, um, Maggie Poole was the person I thought was the best fit for him Mm. because she understood the whole picture of him. And... Thomas Magnum's biggest problem was always trying to save somebody. That's true. And all the women that he was with, he seemed he was trying to save them. She didn't need saving. No, she didn't. If anything, she was there to help him adjust. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what he work. needed. He needed a partner. And I think that uh, of all the characters on this show, she was the one that I saw him hmm. as the best fit. Hmm. I have to reevaluate that. Okay. <laughs> now we're going to wind up. We've got a couple minutes still. Now, I have been to the estate, unfortunately torn down now. I hopped that fence. God, I felt good doing it. My wife thought I was insane. I did it. I actually ran around a little bit, (laughs) rolled around on the grass. I know that's sick, isn't it? Hopped back over, went into the title pool, and we discussed that last week. There was a lot of coral and rock. I have no idea how they went about their business. But we both agreed there is something strange in the title pool that you see every few episodes or so. looks like a box. Yes. If you took it out, it almost looks like a uh, a mortar box, something you would put into the mountains. And you're going to go with me. Peter, what is that box? Because you know the answer. Well, we have 14 pages of information I... and research on Magnumania.com. And the winner that we have been able to find out so far, what makes the most sense, um, is that it's a storm drain. 
It's a release for a storm drain. There are blueprints that show piping underneath the estate coming from the other side. Um, and it's I didn't sewage? when I was in the tidal pool, but if you look at pictures now, the steps that went onto the estate from the beach, there is a pipe. You can see a little bit of a hole on the lower right-hand side. Oh my God. And it seems like at one time that connected to something else that was protected by a concrete wall that went then out underneath the beach to that little pillbox. Oh my God! We're gonna. T- I'm gonna pull off the threes. Trust me on this. And I want to talk to you further about this off the air. You have been listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, Super Magnum PI fan Peter Fleming on with me. My old co-host Joe Harnett. I'll be back again next week. Looking forward to it.